0: Welcome to the Not Your Average Gun Girls podcast, part of the concealedcarry.com network. We're your hosts. I'm Emily Valentine from Stommy Tactical. And I am
1: Amy Robbins. Sorry, I'm over here trying to work the, <laughs> the controls today. And I'm Amy Robbins of Alexa, everybody. How's it going?
0: We are Your Average Gun Girls. I want to bring you a podcast that mirrors the way we live our lives. We are self reliant, stylish, and eager to inspire women to feel confident in defending themselves while also staying true to their lifestyle. We'll be talking all things from concealed carry to our favorite lipstick and everything in between. This podcast is intended to support and empower women. We want you to be armed with the right tools and education to be self reliant and prepared to act in your own self defense. This episode is brought to you by StamiTactical.com, a lifestyle blog sharing concealed carry tips, outfits, and preparedness advice, and Alexa Athletica, the first active carrywear line on the market, keeping women safe and stylish. Hey, Amy, how are you? Emily, I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today? Good. Are the technical difficulties uh, figured out? I I
1: think so. (laughs) You know, ever since we started uh, running these, running this thing on our own, I I feel like I I mess up a lot. But that's okay because I want everybody to see that it doesn't always go according to plan, and that's totally fine. You adapt, right? It's the way that it is. You adapt and you change, and you say you just roll with it. Exactly. That's what we have to do. It's what you got to do. It's what you got to do. So, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing good. Just ready for, uh, you know, another week. Keep it going. Crushing everything. Crushing
1: everything. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is a big month. We're going to take in this podcast in a different direction today, uh, something I'm really excited about. I am very excited to have um, the guest on the show today. Um, mm-hmm. As some of you may know, maybe you don't know, this is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Um, really... There's been a lot going on in the media when it comes to sexual assault. And I found this wonderful guest on our show last year at the Turning Point Convention. Actually, Emily, you and I both yes. did. Yep. It was my first time to ever hear her speak. And you guys, her story gave me chills. Um, mm-hmm. I was so impacted by not just what had happened to you, but how she overcame what happened to her. So everybody, this is Mother Survivor Advocate Kimberly Corbin. Hi, How's girls? Kimberly. Hi. Hi. Thanks for Kimberly. having me on today. Kimberly, thank you, thank, thank you for you on. Thank you for coming on today. I'm so excited. I know you have your own podcast to do, yes. so the fact that you found yes. some time to come on our show, we're very grateful to have you on today.
2: Well, it's like I already had the microphone. Hey, why not?
1: <laughs> no, exactly.
0: Makes so it easy.
1: You guys actually launched at right about
2: the same time that we did, and so it's been fun. Like following both of them and seeing how the whole crazy podcasting world works. And oh it is gosh, such right? a riot. I mean, I, um, I'm co-hosting with one of my best friends, Kirster Reinhardt, and ours is called Life As She Knows It. And it's it's more talking all of the, the serious issues that yes. face women with <laughs> a little bit of snark and a little bit of dark humor. But it, it's it been really <laughs> fun because you've got some great interactions that are happening. And it's all the topics that we discuss anyway. We just are bringing them to the world instead.
1: I I love that because you are basically mm-hmm. like the model, not your average gun girl. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not at all.
1: <laughs> and so not. I love that. Um, and we want to jump right in. I don't want to waste any time at all because you have such an amazing story for those who have not heard your story. Um, I just want you to kind of tell our audience what happened. And then let's dive into where you are now and what's going on with your life at this point. Sure. Sure.
2: So, I'm actually from Colorado. I grew up uh, about an hour north of Denver and I attended the University of Northern Colorado. Um, in 2006, I had just finished up my sophomore year. We had just moved into new apartments and a stranger broke into my apartment, held me in my room for two hours and raped me. And I had to lay there at 20 years old thinking that that was how I was going to die. It was in that moment that I realized I would do anything that it takes to get through this and, and to keep living. Um, I immediately reported the crime. Uh, they caught him three weeks later. He was successfully prosecuted by the Weld County District Attorney's Office and is currently serving a 24-year-to-life term in the Department of Corrections. All of those things are, are wonderful and at the same time, insanely beating the odds because statistically, my case is extremely atypical. Um, most offenders never see a day in prison. And it's because he did that I felt, all right, I need to do this. I need to do something that is going to help other people. So I opted to release my name to the media once we got that conviction. And I've been speaking across the country ever since. And it started just telling my story around a conference table with 10 other people helping to train advocates. And from there, it has morphed into something that I've found can be inspiring, even though I had to go through this horrible Horrible experience that had, you know, depression, PTSD, uh, dropping out of school, just a whole host of really bad things on my road to recovery. I found that I can use that message to show other people that you don't have to let it run your life. You can actually be a whole and complete person afterwards as well.
1: That is, I, I'm telling you, when I, a big part of your story a lot, especially when you go and speak at these conferences, they play your 911 call. Mm-hmm. When they start the speech, and I mean, it was just um, very—I don't even know. I mean, I got chills like when I first heard it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I used—I
2: used to not to not have that. And actually, I'm I'm the one that put together that entire part of the presentation, and I did so because for so like I would think I was doing it for about two or three years, and somebody said, "I just can't imagine you as in that moment," and I'm like, "Well." neither can I almost because you listen to that recording and it's like that's not mm-hmm. that's not me but right. holy cow that's my voice that's those are my words and so I felt compelled to share that piece because for people who have not been through it I provide a, a big trigger warning on these as well because it can be re- really rattling for people who have been something been through that mm-hmm. something like that that's similar but it's important to show that contrast because the person that they see on that stage in front of them with a the microphone is not the same girl that it was on that morning in 2006 mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, I've been told it's very powerful.
1: Um, it was very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And what was the first thing? So after this happened, you talk about a lot of your road to recovery. What were, what were part, what were some of those steps and what were some of the things that you did that really helped you, I guess, gain confidence back, um, and really start feeling like, um, kind of a whole person again. The difference, uh, the, a big difference for
2: me, was that I knew right away what was happening to me was rape. It was a very black and white line that was crossed. It was there were no blurred lines. There were. Um, there was no alcohol involved. There was no pre-existing relationship, and so for me, I knew what was happening right then and there. So I didn't have to deal with a lot of the the self blame and the guilt that so many survivors do. So that almost gave me a, a head start in reaching out for support. I mean, reporting and everything to do with the justice system thereafter was very different from from what most people experience, and um, it gave me the ability to to reclaim my voice. And when I released my name, that was a huge turning point for me because I finally felt like I was stepping into the survivor role. Hey, I'm coming out on the other side of this. And finally, I'm able to say, this is how it made me feel, not just the black and white facts on a written affidavit. So uh, there was a lot of things that that went through that, but also counseling, depression, PTSD, suicidal ideations. There's this whole list that survivors go through, regardless of whether or not they're mm-hmm. in the justice system, regardless of whether or not they ever speak about it. And I felt like connecting with those people who maybe didn't have the same resources and stunning support system as I did would be critically important for their recovery in whatever way that that may be. Um, I went back to school. I, I like to joke that I took some victory laps,
0: <laughs> which I totally
2: did. Anybody seen Van Wilder? <laughs> kind of close to that. But um, I took, my undergrad took a long time because I went from, from being like a three six major to just bombing, and one semester I think one of the only things that I passed was my <laughs> volleyball class. So uh, it was it was very different from what I had been used to, and a lot of that is to do with trauma. So um, I went back and finally decided this is this is what I want to do. I changed my major to psychology and minored in criminal justice, and then went through uh, the grad school program, writing a, a thesis on uh, vicarious trauma. So. I made this, you know, something that I could take control over and the more I could learn about it the better uh, in control of my own life I felt. And then I started working uh, in law enforcement as a victim advocate and eventually with the prosecutor's office uh, in Greeley and so it was kind of cool to to get to go to work and be on the flip side and helping victims where they mm-hmm. had prosecuted my case, you know, a yeah, few years earlier. Absolutely.
1: Emily, I know you had a question for her something that we had talked about like um, I know you can go and read your story in a lot of detail on your website. You've talked about it, I mean, yeah. you can watch youtube videos and stuff but there were a couple of things like um because obviously on our podcast we really like to talk about prevention being prepared Mm -hmm. how to defend yourself but you found yourself in a situation where you didn't even have the option or the ability to defend and protect yourself right
0: right were you right that what i guess mindset or tools did you have before that night that could have helped you like did you prior did you own a gun at that time did you like what Mm-mm. was your kind of no, and what actually, was your personal like preparedness like plan or situation Did you even thought had one in in the works or anything during that time
2: my plan is pretty pretty normal um it won't happen to me okay that was that was my plan quite frankly um but it did mm-hmm. and i just i'm more situationally aware now when i look back there's a lot of things that i'm um, probably fed into how I did evidence collection. And it's not like CSI. You don't get DNA back after a commercial break. And so I'm looking at ways that, okay, I feel like I can, I can talk about this even though a lot of people don't. And I have a great support system. And so it was more of the, you know, lower level things that you get to afterwards. Now I look at this as, okay, here are the different tools that I can put in my toolbox to try to be as prepared as possible. I always like to say that I don't think had I had a gun at 20 years old in my apartment at that point that it would have stopped him. I was surprised in the middle of the night, but I'm also not a gun owner trying to stop that rape from happening. It already happened. And that's why I carry is because I know mm-hmm. what can happen. And so I want to be as prepared as possible. It's not going to stop every single bad thing from ever happening, but if it stops one, that's worth it to me. Um When I got into the second amendment world, I had had firearms, like handguns, in my in my home uh, with my ex-husband for, you know, about a year. And I'm thinking, okay, I didn't grow up around them. My my brother and my dad hunted. But if they're going to be in my house, I at least want to understand how they work. Like, I was the, the one that thought, oh, gosh, this could go off at any moment. <laughs> like, an inanimate object. Oh, my gosh. And so he started taking me out to the range. I got, I got to train with some of the law enforcement and just kind of pieced together everything, took my hunter safety class. And it took me about three years after really learning the ins and outs of how a pistol works to apply for my CCW. And so here in Colorado, you can take your hunter safety class and be able to uh, go through that with the background check and all the other hoops that you've got to jump through. But it wasn't until 2013, I'm pregnant with my son. And we have Colorado legislature sleeping through these this gun package, which was serving as a litmus test for the rest of the nation at that point. And I honestly felt this need to get up off of my couch and go down, and I had never really participated in government that way, and tell them, this is why I carry. Here's my very real story. Here's why I'm so passionate about this. And the rest is kind of history, but I will tell you, I didn't feel like I would be able to speak on this because I didn't think that a gun would have prevented that specific rape from happening in 2006 no mm-hmm. kidding because I had been raped and I didn't think that a gun would have stopped it and I thought well that's going to prevent me from from ever like speaking about my story because it's going to be ripped apart but then I realized doesn't matter I'm looking more towards the mm-hmm. future and more towards this is a this is a right of ours and it's one yeah. that needs to be protected whether or not we agree with it is fine I'm not telling people that they have to have a gun it's more about why people need these, not just in our country, but in the world to defend themselves. And so that's um, how that got involved.
1: <laughs> when did you get your license to carry? What year was that? Um, it would have been 2013, my,
2: my first one, but I got my hunter safety in 2010. So I'd, I'd have one since then.
1: Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I know you got to get some really amazing training. Like wait. Yes. Um, tell us about that experience, where you got to go, and I mean, kind of how all that happened.
2: Yes. Oh my gosh. This was I was terrified to do this last summer, and I am so thankful that I did. So I had the amazing opportunity to go out to Epping, New Hampshire, yeah. somewhere I had never been, and attend the Six Hour Academy for, I think we were training for nine days wow. while we were there. Um, I had never had formalized training. I did hunter safety classes and it spanned over a three day weekend. And that was pretty much it for the the formalized like classroom kind of training with other people. Otherwise it'd been one-on-one and whatnot. And going through the SIG Academy and realizing that people aren't going to be barking at me like they're drill sergeants. They're actually there to help me learn what I need to do awesome. was one of the most empowering experiences for me, as as a gun owner, and I didn't realize how much I didn't know about carrying or uh, tactical yeah. awareness or just the ability to protect my family until I was done looking back like, holy cow, love the first yes. day that we were there. So I had three <laughs> trainers. There was Justin, Dylan, and Hannah, who you guys have yeah. had on the show. Yeah, so I, love like, I love her. I love me some Hannah. Uh, but like the first day, I'm sitting in this massive range indoors and they're, they're filming a TV show for the Academy to kind of help promote what, what they have to offer there. And, yeah. Justin's teaching me how to change a, a mag, like to take the base plate off and how to like actually change it. And the spring came out and like shot across. Like, he was going across the floor, and everybody had to be quiet. So I was like, <laughs> across the floor, like, oh my gosh, I am lost cause, please. I thought they were gonna send me home right then and there. But it was it was awesome because I was able to experience all these different things that I never would have thought about. I'm like, okay, obviously you know your four main safety rules and watch your watch your muzzle and everything but in reality there were so many other things that i wouldn't have thought about and i can say that i came home from that training, feeling 100% confident in my ability to carry Mm -hmm. under any circumstances. And before I may have felt, "Mm, I don't know how I'm going to do so with this outfit. And I don't know if this is a situation where I would be completely prepared to do so and still be able to follow the law. So uh, it it was amazing. And I'm just really thankful for everything that the people there put into making sure that I was well trained.
0: I mean, it looked like an awesome time. And not only did it look like you were learning a lot based on what you posted on Instagram, you I mean, looked like you were having such a fun time.
2: It was fun. Like
0: if I had to be
2: away from my whole family for that amount of time, I'm like, darn it, I'm going to pour myself into this and I'm going to make it as as fun as possible. And everyone there was just wonderful and welcoming. And I'm really looking forward to getting my fiance back out there as well to do some training.
1: Good. Well, it kind of unravels the myth that going and learning about firearms has to be so scary. I mean, you were all smiles. You were (laughs) goofing around. You actually had a good time at the range. And I think that's so important when you're getting people into firearms. is like letting them have a good time in a very safe, responsible way. I mean, that's the number one thing. but. Obviously, like you can go and you can learn this in an environment and it doesn't have to be so scary. No, you know, you get those safety basics down and then
2: you really can be yourself and you can have a good time. It doesn't have to be that, that stringent. Now this, now this, now if you mess up, you're going to get yelled at kind of deal. That's not what it is. If you understand the gravity of what you're doing and you practice safely, Mm -hmm. then it really can be a very fun experience, especially when you have the right people like they did at the SIG Academy.
1: Yeah.
0: So now when you're out... Yeah.
2: Oh, oh, oh yeah, that's a <laughs> so actually I got to change after oh. uh, after I was done. So I think Amy knows. Um I've got the the rose gold from uh, <laughs> I am uh, I I am using the the P three twenty for anything home defense if I go to the range and I'm putting a lot of lead down range, that's the one that I'm I'm most in love with, I would say. And it's just it's a surefire. I, I love the trigger pull on it. I love everything about it and it's just a, uh, really, really well made firearm.
1: Yeah, I mean SIG does make great firearms and the sights are great yeah. on it too. I love the trigger. Like yes. The coil is is very minimal. I mean, I'm a fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: The, we we had to- well, And I wanted that manual safety on it too um, just with how old my kids are right now and even though we're going through some of the the safety and, you know, they're still at an age where if you see one, you know, run away, tell an adult kind of deal. But uh, as they as they get older and I, I want that other that other piece there just in case.
1: So do you carry with one in the chamber um, like when it's on your body? Like actually,
2: the I know this is going to sound a, a little strange. Sometimes I don't. Um, and it depends on what I'm wearing in it as weird as that is
1: that's not weird at all because we i think it's important for people to see like it's a very personal choice there's going to be people that want to bark at everybody what they Mm -hmm. should be doing but at the end of the day like we like showing people no this is a very personal decision Mm -hmm. for everybody and no matter how you choose to carry like practice with it right right Yeah, and
2: you've got to know, like you've got to do some some polls, the like before you go out and make sure, okay, this is this is what it is. But you always need to know the status, and I think what's most important, changing back and forth between the two, is that I need to always know what it's going to be. So, I mean, worst case scenario, I'm always acting as if there's not one Mm -hmm. in the chamber. Um, but for the most part, it, it really depends on the situation. And if I'm going somewhere that I know, okay, I'm a little iffy or not feeling completely comfortable, then I do carry chambered.
0: Yeah. Do your kids know that you carry?
2: Yes. Are they aware yeah. of that? Okay. Yep. Um and actually, so we have four um between my fiance and I, and they span an age from 10 to three. And so while they know that I carry, there's no glorification of the firearm itself. They know more about why then mm-hmm. they do, you know. Oh, there's a gun, and we don't we don't play with guns in the house. Like we don't really have Nerf guns or anything because we don't mm-hmm. want that confusion introduced. But that's also a personal choice. Um, the older boys are kind of understand a little bit more about why and where we carry, and they they know more about that. But I think the more conversations that we're having, it's almost eliminating that curiosity, and it's just a fact of life. Okay, this is this is what mommy and daddy do, and it's it's really not the the scary thing that people make it out to be Mm -hmm. right.
0: Yeah. But a
2: lot of that falls back on the parent. And it's it's all about how you speak about it to your children. Because each one of my children is very different and individual and you have to tailor Mm -hmm. that message to them.
1: What was the biggest thing for you from moving from the mentality like that you were a victim to no longer having the victim mentality? That is an awesome question. Actually, we are
2: um, we have a podcast scheduled for later in the month where we are addressing this exactly because I think mm-hmm. that's something that is very individualized too. For me, releasing my name um, to the media was this moment of of shedding that veil of secrecy or that you know you don't you don't put a human face on on these stories, and I was able to tell my side of things and, and what I had been going through. My family had been going through my community. Um, I, I liked that point, but at the same time, the sentencing hearing that most people don't ever get to, to see in their cases was big for me too, because I got to get up on that stand and tell a jury and, or I'm sorry, a judge and an entire gallery full of people. And the one person who actually attacked me sitting 10 feet away from me, how that impacted me. Um, it, it helped me take back that power. And then more and more as I have moved through life, you know, it's, it's addressing mental health ongoing. It's not just a, you go to counseling and then you're done with court and everything's all roses and sunshine. Yeah. Um, it's, it's going through and really getting a handle on mental health. It's a self-awareness piece. Um, everything from continuing to speak to arming myself to approaching the day where I'm going to have to tell my kids about what happened to mommy. That's, that's going to be tough. But at the same time, each time I do that, it sheds a layer of of that guilt or that shame that we are told that we have to feel as survivors because that's not the case at all. And there's one person that is responsible for what happened to me. And luckily, he's serving time in the Department of Corrections right now.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I got to ask you this because this is obviously. In our society right now, we are obviously a lot of this has been brought to the forefront um, with the Me Too movement, um, and I want to get your take on a couple of things because um, I know that we hear both sides of this. Um, a big A big part of Alexa's message is helping move women from Me Too to providing an opportunity for them to be able to say not me or never again. Mm-hmm. When you hear those messages, the not-mes, the never-agains, is that offensive to you? I mean, how do you feel about that? So this is a a multi-layered
2: conversation because I was one of those that saw the Me Too hashtag start trending in the evening, and I was all about it. I mean, I have been in the advocacy world now for almost 12 years, and any time that people are feeling encouraged to speak up and share their stories or they're able to feel like there's a community rallying around them for support, I'm going to be in support of. For it to go very quickly from the Me Too movement and a camaraderie for all of these survivors to being something that's politicized or you have people that are jumping on and don't agree with the message. Hmm. Not from a, hey, these are survivors banding together, but it's a liberal or it's Hollywood that that started it. They didn't like the origin. Mm-hmm. And so they're starting to say, oh, not me. And here's how I can be part of this, but also look at how I'm out here and they can, it's not yeah. going to be me. I had a problem with that. I'm not offended. I'm not an easily offended person by any means. But when you have a message positive or negative that gets twisted, then you're always going to have those those bad sides. You now, what I like about what Alexo does is that right. they are actually providing something to say, here, <laughs> we want you to have the correct tools for you to be able to to live your lifestyle the way that you see fit. We're not telling you that if you buy our pants, you have to have a gun in them. It's <laughs> not right. at all. If you want to buy Go those pants and it. just do down dog, then you do you. It's fine. Right. But I like that option, <laughs> that choice. And I have seen so many people... Uh, I don't, are you guys explicit content or is it clean? Well, look at the clean here. that have just completely, completely <laughs> okay. we're in the I had a word now. come to mind and I'm like, oh, filter. That's new for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I had I, I had this this thought in my mind that I'm like, okay, yeah. it can be positive just based on how you are messaging it. Yeah. And so if you're trying to, to say that some people's stories are not as important and um, using that kind of hashtag for it, that's not a good thing. Um, And there have been instances where I've had to call people out on that, whether they like it or not. And I fall into this very odd little, little sect here where I have like conservative Twitter and second amendment Twitter, but then I also have all of the advocacy stuff and I found the two don't intersect as well as they really should. And so regardless of whatever hashtag you want, nobody once there to be more victims. And we want to move everyone towards this, um, this right. idea of never having it happen again. It's just nice mm-hmm. that when that hashtag is paired with tools that can actually make that a reality, that we've got something that we can give to them and say, yeah. here's what we can do for you.
1: Well, I just don't hear anybody having this conversation. It seems no. to be that me too camp and the not me camp. Yep. And right. our whole goal was, I was like, a I never want to be insensitive because obviously, mm-hmm. like, I'm in your court, Kimberly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am in everyone's court. That right. the me, too- I'm very sensitive to the me too thing. We just want to be able to kind of, it's more like of an empowerment thing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. how we started it was like, I just never want there to have to be another woman that has to say me too right ever right. again. You know, we do live in a society where things happen. There's evil people and we know that. And we want to encourage women to be as prepared as possible, not to live in a state of paranoia and fear all the time. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? Like being prepared and I guess first accepting the reality that these things can and do happen even in very Mm -hmm. quote unquote safe neighborhoods and Mm -hmm. places. This happens. And I think the, the quicker we're able to understand that reality you almost can be a little bit more prepared or be as prepared as you can possibly be you know well there's a there's the space that should that should exist for everyone
2: where you don't have victim blaming but you're also allowing them to be as prepared as possible because there's we're never going to be able to completely eradicate this but if you're able to to have that mentality of okay I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that this doesn't happen and then if it does that not shouldering that shame and that blame, whether it's for yourself or putting that onto that victim, those need to coexist. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the not me felt victim blaming almost to me um, when it was used by some people, and so that's what I, I try to yeah that's what I tried to move yeah. away from, but. I love that people are are able to start having these conversations. And that's why I love going and speaking is because I'm completely fine answering those conversations and having that civil discourse. There's a lot of people that are in the middle of their healing journey and they're not. And you're going to see a lot of people take offense to that, but not be able to put words as to why. And chances are that's probably Mm -hmm. a lot of what they're feeling.
1: That's and that I just really appreciate you telling me that mm-hmm. and and talking to us about that because a lot of the women that I'm I'm getting emails from and stories from are kind of in the same place. They're like, what helped me get over whether it was a brutal attack. I'm getting constant women saying I was on my runs. Yeah. I mean, it's why we made our line, but they were right. on our runs and they got brutally assaulted. And what helped them get to that next level was now saying. This is never going to happen to me again. And why is it I'm going to do everything I can for it to not is, okay, I'm going to choose to run with a stun gun every time I'm Mm -hmm. out, or I'm going to choose to take pepper spray with me, you know, like whatever tool they choose. It's like these women are saying, gosh, dang it. Like, I never want this to happen again to me or to anybody else that I love and this is what I'm going to do. And so, you know, obviously everyone is on a different journey and a different path of where they're at mm-hmm. at that time. But gosh, it would just be amazing to be able to have this like army of women step up and say, freaking never letting this happen to us again, right. <laughs> you right. know, and banding together with the sisters who it hasn't happened to yet that are saying not me, but then being sympathetic to the ones that it has happened to and say, how can we support you in your right to choose what you want to defend yourself? right moving
2: forward right yes and i think that that united front would be amazing to have and the more you are offering yourself to have those real conversations as opposed to just throwing hashtags for likes or retweets is going to go a lot further so
0: and that's what people want people you know don't really understand right they they don't understand what's happening and they just want to chime in and everyone starts hashtagging and be part of some kind of movement without really knowing and it's like well why don't we all start sticking together and start educating and women God. on how they can be self-reliant. You know, I think that conversation of women being able to defend mm-hmm. themselves isn't happening enough mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people don't also want to talk about, well, when you start talking about women's self-defense, there's a certain tool yeah. that nobody wants right. to, you know, is, is, you know, no one wants to admit that a gun is really yeah. a, a great equalizer and, and it's such a taboo topic to own a gun or to carry a gun. And, but in reality, like, That is that is a very viable tool that's gonna help defend defend you. And we've Mm -hmm. never said you have to own a gun, but get into that mindset, start thinking about it. When I
2: actually started speaking out about this publicly and had my my name and my face attached to it, which I didn't care if anybody remembered. I wanted them to remember my story. My who I am is is irrelevant. Right. And I never caught any flack and I was never shamed for that. And it wasn't until I outed myself as a gun owner that I started Receiving death threats and people saying, oh, my gosh, you're such an abomination, completely disregarding the years of work that I'd done in the advocacy community because it just wasn't important anymore. Yeah. So that, that mentality surrounding who firearm owners are and why we are so passionate about our second amendment rights really does a lot to stop that conversation. And so the more open Mm -hmm. that you can be, even if you don't want to own one, that's really okay. Because I can think, I think we all agree we don't want guns in the hands of crazy people, but then i raise my hand and say, okay, I'm not crazy, but I have been diagnosed with depression and PTSD. Now, what do we Mm -hmm. do? How do we move that conversation forward? Because there are people like me that need firearms and we we want to defend ourselves. But if you're going to put everybody in one bucket, it's not going to work out well. And that's why we're going to sure. keep having these conversations.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but I, I do. I, I don't think the me too and not me movements are as divided as everyone makes them think, mm-hmm. think that it is. Um, and I, I just best way. What do you think like kind of bridge the gap and bring it together to where people can start seeing each other's side? And you have you have certain individuals or
2: organizations that are thriving on that that disconnect though and the more people are are throwing you know fireballs at each other the more that they are going to thrive in whatever message that they're in having that conversation and being completely open and allowing yourself to have your mind changed is scary but the more individuals just like you and me and, you know, normal, normal people that are able to come together, mm-hmm. us, us normal peasants <laughs> down here, you know, the more that we're able to connect and have those <laughs> conversations, the more you're going to see, okay, they don't have to pull all the strings and we don't have to agree with every 280 character tweet that they put out. So I think that it's good to, to keep right. having one-on-one conversations, whether it's in your real life, whether it's on social media. You don't have to be offensive to get your point across. It actually does more for you. There's a saying that's like, you attract more flies with honey than vinegar. Kind of the same thing. That's how I message. <laughs> I always like to joke that uh, like, when I go and speak on campuses or um, for organizations, I think people want the the big, horrible things like, oh my gosh, we're going to be able to put this on a headline. That's not what it is. I, I do victim advocacy work. Um, I talk a lot about how to support survivors, whether that's on campus or uh, just with your friends and family. There's maybe a three minutes part in that where I talk about self defense and what I chose to do to bring myself back to the real world and. Beyond that, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not that message. And the, the more that we can talk about that, I like to joke that I'm a gateway drug to the Second Amendment. Because if you can get behind me, and like, why I need <laughs> my firearm, then you'll probably start moving a little more towards that side. But um, just those, yeah. those positive conversations and the more real that you can be and open, the better off we're going to be as a country.
1: Awesome. So we're because I'm, I'm just so thankful for what you're doing and the Mm -hmm. way that you spread your message. I mean, I love following you. Um, If where can people go and find your podcast if they want to listen to more information? What's your website? um, And do you have any speaking engagements (laughs) coming up? That people can get to. Um, I have one really good one that I can't announce yet, but um, oh, I,
2: no. I, I know. I've got, <laughs> so stay yes, tuned and
1: go follow her. We're, we're going to announce <laughs>
2: on, on the podcast actually here in a couple of weeks. So I'm really looking forward to that one. But um, awesome. so on iTunes, you can look up Life As She Knows It, um, Kimberly Corbin and Kirsten Reinhart. And we are the hosts of that every Wednesday and then Kimberly Corbin.com. Just go on there. You can read more about my story, see the blog uh, contact me that way. And then obviously on social media, it's at Kimberly Corbin and it's C O R B A N. Uh, (laughs) I do my own stunts. I'm very grassroots. So I like literally do all of my own stuff and I, I don't sleep a whole lot, but (laughs) yeah, if uh, if you ever want to connect or you've got speaking engagements coming up, I would love to, uh, to hear from you and have, Just have a really good time being able to talk about this.
1: Awesome. Well, Kimberly, we thank you so much for coming on our show and taking time. Yeah, we know you're you a so busy woman. There. You have a lot of stuff coming up. So mm-hmm. we just appreciate your time and your willingness to be authentic and open. And um, I think that's how minds are going to get changed, too. Yes. Well, we and a, I appreciate your story. So, yeah, I appreciate sure. what
2: you guys are doing, too, because it's just shedding that veil of this is what the gun owner is supposed to look like. And it's like, mm, no, actually, we yeah, like magic it's lipstick.
1: It's thanks for playing. Exactly. Thanks, <laughs> but no thanks. <laughs> and <laughs> we like
2: hot pink clothes. <laughs> <Heck>. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't need camo, but darn it, I I like my pink. Kimberly has asked me several times, when is your blue jacket going to come out in pink? And I'm like, Um, maybe I just need to make you a special pink Kimberly Corbin edition of your jacket. I
2: think you really, really do. I will 100% rep that.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys so much for joining us this week as we just uh, start shattering this victim mentality idea and what we talk through Sexual Assault Awareness Month. If you've got any stories that you want to share with us, we want to hear them. We want to hear how how your life has been affected, maybe some of the things that have helped you get through this, if you have been assaulted or if anything has happened to you, we want to know what tools you've put in place and how you stay prepared moving forward. Uh, we love interacting with everybody. So the w- best way to get in touch with us, uh, you can actually follow us on Facebook and on Instagram at Not Your Average Gun Girls. And you can drop us a DM there. We get that and check it. And we love interacting with everybody. So um, if you have not done so yet, please go to iTunes, Not Your Average Gun Girls and subscribe to the podcast. And don't forget to rate and leave us a review. We want to know how we're doing. We want to know what you want to hear about and what other things we can talk about. So We will see you guys next week. Bye, Emily. Bye, Kimberly. Bye. Thanks, guys.
0: Thank you. Bye, guys.